0: Only
1: redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Some parents exploded their children three or four times a month. What fresh
0: hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. You should ignore everything else I say for the rest of the night and maybe just stand back. With Margaret Apples And Amy Wilson. Oh, sugar
1: snap peas. cups smacking shiitake mushrooms.
0: A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas. So you don't have to. Like, I went ham. I went all the way in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the What Fresh Hell podcast. This is Margaret. This is Amy,
1: and this week we're talking about when we lose it. Sometimes we lose it. Sometimes
0: we lose it. Sometime this week we lose it, if you're me.
1: I was reading in the Wall Street Journal, an article, I'll put it up on our show page, it talked about, it said some parents explode at their children up to three or four times a month. (laughs)
0: right oh wall street journal (laughs) yeah or i thought you were gonna say three or four times a day you really set me up with that one i was like that sounds right three Uh, or four times a day and then you said month and i started to cry inside month
1: yeah and here's the thing yelling in the moment i think we the reason we do it is well we'll talk about the reasons why we do it but in the moment it's cathartic It, it feels good i have a quote here from Dr. Alan Kasdan, he, he is a child studies professor at Yale, and he says, if the goal of the parent is catharsis, I want to show you how mad I am, yelling is is perfect. If the goal is to change something in the child or develop a positive habit in the child, yelling is not the way to do that.
0: Hmm. So if the goal is both of those things, you have a problem, right. too, right?
1: Right. And I think we're talking about, I mean, we're, we're talking today about like top 10
0: losers, Right. Right. We're not just talking about like, get in the car. Come on, everyone. We're talking about like the like lengthy shouting screed that results in what I have previously referred to on the podcast as the yelling flu. And that's when you get into bed at night and you're hoarse and you have a ringing headache because you've just been screaming all day long. Uh, To me,
1: to me, like losing it when I think when I was thinking about this, it was more less of the how many times do I have to tell you yelling, which I was just doing 15 minutes ago this morning and more and more the ones I'm going to, you know, carry with me for a long time. Like, oh, I really I really was not my best self. And and there's a there's a thing that you tip into that I wanted to talk about, which is like, so Stuart Schenker, who wrote the book self Reg, we talk about him a lot on the show. Um, he calls it red brain and we talked about it for <laughs> our kids. It's very good job, Stuart. Yeah. Like don't really have to explain. I understand what that is. I mean, the way he described it as your limbic brain, it's your, it's your lizard brain. Like when you, when your heart starts racing and you can't take a deep breath and you're, you know, you're, seeing black and like that, that moment you're in red brain. And he talks about the difference between self reg and self control. Self control is when we tell somebody calm down, just calm down, which as he points out has never worked, never in the history of calming down has somebody calmed down because they were told to calm down. That doesn't work. And, and and even more
0: so when someone screamed at them to calm
1: down. Yes, exactly. And and so he says, you know, self-control is once the once the horse is out of the barn, so to speak, and running around, and you're like, get back in the barn. Well, that's that's not going to happen. The self-reg is about saying, "Oh, here I go. I feel my <laughs> I feel my anger
0: rising. I feel my my breath getting tight in my, my chest. My temperature rising. What is that song? Yeah, exactly. That's my theme song. The clouds are getting low. That one, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, but I really enjoyed hearing that's you some. do that. Sorry, well deluxe alert. Back
1: in my day, that's it's raining men, which is really it's not about anger, I suppose, but it's about
0: it's about the gathering storm, according to mm. all sources.
2: <laughs> but then it has a happy ending because it starts
0: raining men. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, I'm thinking of a different song that's like I feel my temperature rising. Anyway, come to Facebook, guys, and tell me what that song is, even though I'm a totally tone deaf version of it. But this made really, this made sense
1: to me that that self self control is about calming down once once the once the uh, response has already occurred, and and self reg is about it's a, it's the same thing as the iceberg we were talking about with the kids a couple of weeks ago. That once you explode, there's all this stuff underneath the surface that has led to this moment. And you need to address all of that if you really want to stop yelling all the time.
0: Yes. it's. I, I think it might be Burning Love by Elvis that I'm thinking of, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on. I think red brain <laughs> is a great word because when I had little kids, I had an expression which was red man mode. And that was when my baby... I had very pale. I'm a very Irish person, and all of my babies were pale to the point of like translucence, basically. And they would get so mad at a certain point that I'd be like, oh no, it's red man mode. And they would just turn completely red from head to toe and just be screaming. And I'm like, okay, there's nothing to be done with red man. Like, red man can't be comforted. Red man is just, it's over when you're in red man mode.
1: Yeah, yeah. You just it, have to it,
0: wait for red man to pass. Like, there's nothing you're going to do it's it's not a, so dr schenker
1: calls it allostatic overload so i looked looked this up of course what does this mean uh, allostatic load is your when you have too much of an allostatic load that's when your chronic stress tips into you know your health problems basically that's what allostatic load means so he talks about allostatic overload and that's when you completely overreact to a situation and you take a really long time to calm down afterwards. Like, have you ever?
0: Have you ever blown up and then no, you still don't no, feel better? I've never. Like done it takes that. you another fifteen minutes. I, I you mean, know? every time my- I've blown up my children, I still don't feel better. That's yesterday. I had a total red brain, red man mode where we'd been on a road trip. We had a wedding down in New Jersey, so I took the kids. We all spent the night in the same hotel room, which I'm starting to realize five of us in one hotel room isn't really working anymore. But they're kind of too young to stay by themselves. And we got home, and then they still had the day off of school. So we went on a Sunday. Monday was a holiday. Came back. We're home at noon. Everyone's overtired. No one has slept well. And I'm like, they're like, let's go to Target and then to the arcade. That was my brilliant plan. And basically, by the time we left the arcade, everybody was like censored out crazy. We had gone to Target, which of course just led to like, we went to Target because they were like, we want to make our Christmas list. Of course it really was just, I want to get all these things, which I said no to. And then I gave in and I got them a couple of little things. And then they were on the way home from the arcade, just complaining about what a terrible person I was because they didn't get the thing they really wanted. And then of course the horrible ticket thing and nothing, you know, you get the tickets at the arcade and then you can't get anything. They were all complaining. And I went into that kind of screaming screed of like, you ingrates! This is what I've done for you this weekend, and all I hear is complaining. And then all the kids were crying, and it, it didn't feel great, Amy. I'm not gonna lie, it didn't feel good. And then no. at the end of it, I was still like, I'm still mad, and now everyone's crying, and I can't just start the screed again. So now we're just all hideously miserable.
1: I have some. I have some bad news, though, when oh, it comes great. to like, okay, that's I'm, just I'm what I need angry? right now, Amy. Bad news. From the handbook of emotion regulation, I know you have that on your. Oh shelf. no, it's
0: one of my favorites. It's sure.
1: It's, it's it explains because it's like okay, you can't when you start to get that I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling angry. It's it's kind of already too late.
0: Yeah, to that's the thing because even as I was opening my mouth to start the "you are not grateful enough for all I do for you" screaming, I mean, I literally believe the phrase I'm going to put all of your toys in the trash might've been used. Like I went <laughs> ham. I went all the way in <laughs> and, um, I
1: knew, and it, and it went awesome and everybody'd listen for the rest of the day. Right. It was. Great. I
0: knew as it was happening that I was on the wrong course. And like every part it's like watching the horror movie and the girl's like, I'll go outside and check what that noise is. Like every fiber of your being is like, no, don't do this is the wrong thing to do. But did I stop myself, Amy? No, I did not. No. No. Because, and I'll tell you why. Because the handbook of
1: emotion regulation explains Maybe I should have this that, on my shelf. Just tattoo this in your forehead. When you try to clamp down on anger, studies have shown that your sympathetic nervous system responses, the heartbeat and the breath and the whatever, actually increase. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Like, don't be angry, don't be angry. It makes you angry. And the- Amygdala, or is it amygdala? Mm, I'm going to let you take that one. Amygdala, I think. Let's go with that. It's the it's the brain. You know, it's part of the brainstem that regulates emotion. People are just it switching
0: off the podcast now because That's not how you say it. <laughs> it. Has it has the word Amy right at the well, beginning of it, true. which I love. Amy. Amy. My
1: name is Amy for Amygdala. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it lights up more, so it is counterproductive once you're in this red brain to try to put it down, but it also makes you make bad choices. Can I, can I throw like a double study at you? Can I just come right in with more, with more study Save me
0: at some point? I'm not sure these studies are doing it, but they're not making me feel better. Yeah. We're going to get there. Feel worse. We're, we're going to get okay. there.
1: All right. As I was perusing the journal of personality and social psychology as recently, you know, Amy, as you do, Um, There was an article, uh, a study by Dr. Karen Leith called Why Do Bad Moods Increase Self-Defeating Behavior? Her hypothesis was that a negative affect causes people to make choices that lead to non-optimal courses
0: of action. Oh, non-optimal courses of action. (laughs) I was on one of you yesterday. Yes, yes.
1: Yes, that that stress cuts our cognitive processing short. And and in that moment, in that fight or flight red brain moment, she says you choose the first option that seems minimally acceptable. Like you didn't actually like, you know, tear your children limb from limb. Right. But you but you did scream at them. That's minimally
0: acceptable comparatively. Well, and, and I think as a system, as a family system, this is a huge problem. Like, One person in the system, let's say, for example, my middle guy gets in a bad mood and then his bad mood, it's like other people's good mood infuriates his bad mood. And so his mission is not really complete until everyone's in a bad mood. But then when he ruins the day with his bad mood, his reaction is like, I'm a bad kid. Oh, poor me. And then by that point, I'm just like, screaming at him while he's feeling bad about himself it's so it's such a bad mix of crazy
1: and it is true that you see you can see your kids negative emotions as about you sue shellenbarger wrote about this for the wall street journal and i'll put the link up on our show page she explains it part of our what can send us into this red brain place is that when our kids are having these negative emotions we take them personally we feel like they're about us we feel overwhelmed by them we feel like they're unexpected. That's why I think that's why we were talking about a couple weeks ago doing the work of like, why does my kid always melt down at four o'clock? Oh, needs protein. That there's Doing doing the detective work makes the overwhelmingness of our kids' uncontrollable emotions seem a little more predictable, which makes us feel safer and therefore able to parent it more effectively. Well, and
0: to say we take it personally. I mean, a lot of times our kid's bad mood immediately becomes, Mommy, you're so dumb. Right. we don't just like go out of our way to take it personally like it personally affects us we have a little thing i think i've talked about it on the podcast before a little wooden hanging plaque and it's called the family doghouse and there's a doghouse a little wooden doghouse and then every member of the family has a little dog that hangs on a peg and you can move somebody in the family into the doghouse
1: <laughs> can anybody is it is this like Elf on the Shelf? Like, do the dogs move themselves,
0: or do, or can anybody decide? Can decide and move them at any point. I got it kind of as a joke when the kids were babies, but it's become kind of an effective tool. Like it's like when the when brother and sister have like a really bad fight. Sometimes like the ultimate uh, what do you call it? Peak of that interaction is I'm putting you in the doghouse, and like you walk into the kitchen and you put the person in the doghouse, and it's like now I'm officially mad at you. <laughs> And so I am, of course, usually in the doghouse. It's usually mom. You can, you can use self-doghouse? Yes, you can. And that's sometimes helpful.
1: You know, that, that's, probably, that's probably what we need to, to get to is how do we self-doghouse ourselves when we're in uh, phase one of allostatic overload? Yes,
0: because sometimes it's very effective, actually. Like I, the kid will come home and be like, mom, you forgot to put my snack in and I was hungry. And I'm like, Oh, what a mom fail. I'm putting myself in the doghouse for that one. And it kind of satisfies them.
1: I I found this study, and this is a fascinating thing. I was like, I thought so. There's a psychologist, Dr. Erber, and he studied how people change their moods when they're going to interact with strangers, like if they're already in a good or a bad mood and he, and he got people in a good or a bad mood by playing happy or sad music, which is interesting in terms of what's a takeaway for a way to change your mood. So he'd get people in a happy or sad mood using music. And then he would tell them they had to interact with a stranger, like solve a puzzle together and their mood. They would change their mood from either happy or sad to more neutral before they interacted with strangers. So his sort of, Conclusion is that we all do that. And I have totally said that to my kids. Like, pretend I'm the lady at Starbucks. Just talk to me like you'd talk to that person. Talk to me like any stranger instead of mom who does everything wrong. Yeah, that'd be nice. Right? And I I do think we save our worst behavior for our loved ones. And unfortunately, that includes
0: us. Absolutely. Right. Did it, do it with my spouse. We're at the cocktail party, and I'm like, "Oh yes, no, everything's great." And then I come home, and I'm like, "Everything's falling apart." And he's like, "Wait,
1: <laughs> let's get back in the elevator with the person from the 14th floor, and then we'll, then we'll all get along again."
0: Uh, so, I, Amy, I think we need some solutions. I know
1: the if the goal is not to get into red brain in the first place, we're probably going to find ourselves there, you know, before before dinner time. So, so what do we do when we get there? I have some experts that I'm going to interview. They're going to give us some ideas. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. The authors of the book now say this, the right words to solve every parenting dilemma. Heather is a psychotherapist who specializes in sleep and parenting, and Julie is the creator of the Right Mommy and Me, one of Los Angeles' best-known Mommy and Me programs. Heather and Julie, thank you for talking to us.
3: Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you. All right, so we, we're talking in this episode about all the times that we have lost it. And it's usually because we, we go into red brain and it's because we haven't been able to control the situation more effectively uh, sooner, right, before that happens, I think. And I love this book because you talk about raising children with warmth and limits. It doesn't have to be one or the other. But first I want to hear, tell me about your work together and how your separate areas of expertise sort of dovetailed when you're working on this book.
4: Yeah, that's a great place to start. So in my Mommy and Me program many years ago, I developed this three-step approach. When babies are as young as seven to nine months old, you probably remember when your kids were that young, that they actually start not wanting to get their diaper changed or not wanting to get dressed or not wanting to be put in their car seat and wanting to hold things they can't hold or touch things that are dangerous. And parents found themselves having to set limits with very young babies. And I thought, wow, what what more perfect place to start leading with empathy and learning how to set limits in an empathic way than when, when the babies are very first needing it. So the approach really grew out of that. And Heather and I wrote The Happy Sleeper, which came out four years ago. And when we were thinking about Well, this book was always in the back of our minds as what we wanted to write next. So we took the same idea from The Happy Sleeper or the same theme, which is babies are built to sleep. And in this book, we started with a theme, kids are built for good. And we took this idea of the three-step approach to empathic limit setting and built it through the ages and through lots of different common issues.
1: We love ages and stages on this podcast. And the, and the book is about that too. These are, these are things that apply to all different ages. But Heather, tell us exactly what the three-step plan is.
3: Okay, so ALP is Attune Limit Set Problem Solve. It's kind of beautifully simple. That's what parents love about it. Attune Limit Set Problem Solve. So let's take an example of you're at the park with your child and they're on the slide and they're having so much fun and you have to leave. And you say it's time to go and they don't they don't want to go. So Attune, you're having so much fun. It's really hard to leave a fun place. I know it's tough. Limit set, we do have to go now. We have to pick up your sister from practice. Problem solve is we like to use humor and creativity in the problem solving steps. So maybe, hey, do you want to race to that tree that's by the car? Or should we practice our cartwheels on the way out? So attune, limit set, and problem solve. It's very adaptable depending on the age and depending on the situation.
1: And does the problem solve uh, involve giving the kid a choice in some way?
3: It's great to use choices. It depends on the age. And, you know, that's the idea is that we really want to give kids the feeling of, hey, I'm not doing this to you. We're in this together. So yes, giving choices is great. You don't need to overwhelm them with choices, but I, we actually really like when parents say, squat down on the ground next to the kid and say, so, you know what, you know, here's the reality. We, we have to leave. So do you have any, what, what should we do? I kind of put it in their court if they're at a developmental level that they can handle that responsibility. And some kids need those choices to be laid out for them.
1: This is really helpful to me. And I'm, I'm going through something with a teenager right now. And it occurs to me, uh, I've come to understand that I was sort of skipping the attune step that he was telling me about an issue he had going on in his life. And I was kind of skipping right to the, it's going to be fine. And here's what you're going to do. And you got this and it's (laughs) good. But what I wasn't, I was skipping the, you are right, that is stressful. And I understand why you're feeling stressed. I was kind of skipping that part. Mm-hmm.
4: It's but You are not alone. It is the most common thing. And if you think about yourself in a moment where you're unhappy or scared or frustrated or anxious, and you think about what you want most from the other person, the answers that we always get are things like, I want to be listened to. I want my feelings to be heard and not judged and not swept under the carpet. I don't want to be instantly pacified.
1: Right, right, right. My spouse would drive me nuts if, if he just jumped right to the, here's how you're going to fix this without saying, wow,
0: you're right. That's that exactly, is a big problem.
3: exactly it. There's so many <laughs> times that we just, I say to my husband, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you to fix it. I want you to just listen mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. so satisfying.
1: So you talk in your book about the iceberg, you know, in the outburst and how there's something on the surface. And of course, there's much more underneath. And we just talked about this a couple episodes back, talking about helping kids deal with tantrums to sort of get curious about what's beneath the surface. Why do they always melt down 10 minutes before ballet? Because that'll help you get to the bottom of it. But you guys in the book talk about the iceberg from our own heightened emotions as parents to consider that when we're dealing with the kids. And I was wondering if you could say a little more about that.
3: Do you mean the iceberg in terms of your own emotions as a parent? Yeah.
4: Yeah, it can be applied. It can be applied to either the way you look at your child and and think, wow, this behavior is just the tip of the iceberg. Let me really take time to figure out what's going on underneath. And I think it's applicable to yourself as a parent as well to think, why am I having this knee-jerk automatic reaction what is what is at the tip of my iceberg i i just want to get out the door i just want to be in control honestly is what we all kind of want in those moments but underneath the iceberg you know we might have stress in our life we might have a deadline that we're trying to meet we might not have slept well the night before we might be hungry there's so many things and one of the beauties of our alp is that we can Use it on ourselves. We can use it on our spouse. We can use it on our family. We can use it on everyone. And turning it inward on yourself and having that moment and thinking, "Why am I so hot-tempered or so quick to yell in this moment?" And then be kind to yourself. It's it's fascinating to do that.
1: Can you give me an example of that? Because that sounds really okay. I want I want the AA for myself.
4: <sighs> okay, so um, you know, do you ever have those moments where I remember a moment when my son was young and he did something in the car he said something rude or i don't i don't know what he said it was a long time ago he's 22 now and all of a sudden i pulled the car over to the side of the road really abruptly and i stopped it and i turned around and in that moment i thought oh my gosh what what am i doing i don't even know what i was going to say but i was really angry and i was able to stop myself and take a deep breath and i think i think seeing his face helped me because it gave me an insight into maybe what was going on with him. And I was able to take a deep breath and ask him a question. So, I mean, there's so many moments where that automatic knee jerk response is comes out of us and we don't even know where it came from. Mine was almost like a memory of maybe something that had happened in my own childhood, you know? So we we have lots of moments where we behave in automatic instinctual ways that, The very first step is to become aware of them and not be hard on yourself and say, wow, you know, I just did something that kind of surprised me or really came out of the blue or came on so fast.
1: And do you talk to the kids about that? Do you get out of that state of mind first, and then and then talk to them about that, or does that depend on their developmental stage? Yes,
3: I would say we all. No matter how old they are, it's so. Number one, it's a really relieving thing for parents to know that you don't have to be perfect. It's not even ideal to be perfect. Kids need the experience of having, you know, bumpy waters with their parents sometimes so that they understand what it feels like to come back and repair with someone that you love and that we can have ups and downs together that's you know that's about resiliency and about maintaining a connection with our kids so we always coach parents to use what we call the repair step when something is bumpy so whether it's because you were fighting with your partner and your kids heard you or because you reacted in a way that you don't feel like was the best way to react to circle back and say, and I think it does help. You know, if you can in the moment say, Oh my gosh, wait, hold on. (sighs) Mommy needs to take a deep breath. Let me have a do over because I think what I meant to say was, but if you can't catch yourself in the moment, then even the next day, go back and say, Hey, remember when that thing happened in the car? I had a big feeling. I was feeling overwhelmed and this is what happened. And I think what I meant to say was this, it's repair. It's even more important than, or just as important as, you know, staying calm in the moment.
1: Wow. And and that's something that, at least growing up, I grew up in an era where I think parents didn't do that, where you were sort of coached very differently, right? There's a bright line. And and I do remember one time in high school when I had a fight with my mom and she came to me several days later and said, you know what? I thought about it and you were right. And Mm. it stands out in my childhood so brightly because it's the only time it ever happened. Yeah. And so I think you're right. Those are it was a, it was a very important moment for me. Yeah, it's, it's so healthy. Less I mean less what the fight was about and more that she yeah. said I thought about it and you were right. Exactly. I couldn't believe she said exactly. it.
4: Exactly. Yeah, I mean if we aren't able to make our process transparent to our children, how are they ever going to learn to do those things themselves? If we can't say, you know, I'm not sure what to do right now, but I Let me think about it, or I want to understand, or there's so many ways to slow down and let your child know that you're, you're trying to lead with empathy, but you're, you're not always sure you don't always have the answers. And you also might be coming at it from a grouchy, tired, stressed place. Like mommy's not in her best mind today. Give me a second to think about this a little bit longer. One thing we hear from parents a lot is how surprised they are at how effective ALP is. I think when they first hear about it, they think it sounds a little soft or indulgent to lead with empathy, but it's not true. What happens is when you start by attuning and letting your child know that you understand them, they're much more likely to listen to you to be compliant to wanna to be sort of part of the process. So that's that sort of paradox and win-win of parenting that ALP satisfies.
1: Yes, exactly. Like you don't have to handle them handle them gently for their fragile whatever. You you can you can do it for you. You can do it to get to the end of the of the tantrum faster, which is good for them, good for you. It's good it's good for everybody. That makes a lot of sense to me. You guys say that that this book is about helping parents be less triggered and more connected and I thought that was a pretty good touchstone and I really think that this book is really useful. You guys give tons of concrete examples like I said for from many different ages and stages and I think that this process is really everybody should get this book. Everybody should try this out. And I certainly am going to be doing more ALP with with my kids. Heather and Julie, tell us more about you and your work and where we can find you.
3: So Julie and I are in Los Angeles and New York City, and we have a private practice where we see parents for all kinds of issues, discipline, communication. We do a lot of sleep consultations. So you can find us on our website, thehappysleeper.com for information about parent coaching and individual therapy or sleep consultations. And our books are Now Say This and The Happy Sleeper, which are both available wherever books are sold.
1: Thank you both. Thank you both so much for your time, Heather and Julie. I love this book. Again, it's called Now Say This, The Right Words to Solve Every Parenting Dilemma. Thanks, Heather and Julie.
4: Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. It was fun. Amy, you know me well enough
0: to know that my daily power breakfast is...
1: while
0: Start your
1: Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co
0: and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O.co and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Are you overwhelmed by
5: the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values?
0: From the What Fresh Hell podcast. The trying not to lose it, lose it.
1: Okay, guys, let's all get in the car before mommy loses her temper. No, I didn't say punch your brother in the face repeatedly. I said get in the car. The am I talking to myself, lose it? Hello, whose shoes are these on the stairs? Hello, can anyone hear me? I asked someone to take these upstairs two days ago can anyone hear my voice right now the company is over but I'm still losing it lose it sweetheart remember when we discussed how when Auntie Jane was here I wanted you to keep your pants on the whole time so why are you running around with no pants on Auntie Jane looks pretty offended don't you think
0: the ultimate trump card lose it no I'm not mad I'm just very very disappointed the I will not curse in front of my children lose it.
3: Oh, sugar, snap these cups, macking
1: shiitake mushrooms. If you kids don't get in the car, I am going to fucking lose my snot on you.
0: The oops, I lost it lose it. That's it. You are all in timeout forever. No one is ever going anywhere ever again. You
1: sit on the stairs and you stay there forever.
0: This has been the way that moms lose it. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Amy, help me. I'm feeling despondent after the first part of our conversation.
1: Well, so we, so we've learned now we need to attune, limit set, problem solve, and this does make sense to me. And
0: that is helpful. That was helpful.
1: Yeah, and and, and attuning, by the way, I mean it, it is that isn't specifically limited to when you're in red brain, it's more limited, you know, it's more talking about when your kid is in red brain, but it does occur to me that by attuning first, by trying to adjust your emotional state to understand theirs, like start there with how is this other person feeling? That, it reminds me of that study we were talking about before, how you're about to interact with a stranger and you move your emotional affect to neutral. If you're feeling happy, you calm down. If you're feeling angry, you even out. This is the same kind of thing that we're going to approach our kid and we're going to try to get on the same plane with them first before we diffuse the situation, problem solve, limit set, Et cetera, it makes sense to me, and I definitely i mean I'm not doing that when I come in over the top right now, you that's not that's not a tuning,
0: yeah, I think it's right. Let your children know you understand, and I also think there's a flip side of it, which I have tried to get a little better about. I have gotten so much better at with my husband, but I need to get a little better with my kids, where I will occasionally now say to my husband. I had a horrible day and I'm going crazy. If I start screaming at you that we should move, that getting married was a mistake, that we should have never had children, that I need to take a break and a sabbatical to Guam, you should ignore everything else I say for the rest of the night and maybe just, you know, stand back. I have done because that. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I it. know I'm going to lose it, but I don't
1: do that with my kids. I have with my kids. I haven't done, listen, mommy's in a really bad mood today. I Well, I did recently. Uh, my, one of my teenagers was like, What's wrong with you? And I just, you know, <laughs> I had had a really bad day and I got a little tearful, but I stayed calm and said, I had a really bad day today. Like, you're right. I had a bad day and I'm feeling bad that you are dumping on me right now because I'm really out of ability to cope with that. But I said that without yelling, screaming, how dare you, you always, you know, I just, I just stayed calm and stated the truth and it
0: worked. I mean, it didn't work forever, but it worked for that minute. It doesn't. Well, it, and I think that's something that is much easier to say to a teenager than a four year old. Oh, like a definitely kid true. when you sit down and you're like, listen, mommy had a really bad day. Your four year old just punches you in the face like they don't care. But I have I have with younger kids said
1: um, it, it's been less about like my, you know, I'm having an emotionally tough time right now. But there, there have been say I have to fly with all three kids by myself moments like that you know where I know I'm going to be short tempered because I'm anxious I can I can sit, have a little we're all in the same team speech before we embark on that thing and say look this is going to be this is going to be hard and I'm going to need you guys to really behave yourselves and we're all going to do our best and they do you can't play that card every day but they do rise to the occasion when you give them advance warning that this is going to be hard and you're going to need their help. They do, they do rise to the occasion more often than not, even when they're little.
0: Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. And, and very much like I've had, I mean, we went to this family wedding and, you know, we went really prepared. My kids were not invited. So like we had a sitter at the hotel, but then the next day we kind of went to stuff and I was like, we're going to go. Mom and dad want to visit with their cousins. You can sit there and use your Kindles. You can draw, like, here are the expectations for this one hour. And then, Everyone was like, "Oh, look at your kids! They just sit and read." I'm like, "Well, because I primed them for an hour with threats and bribes about how this was going to go, but it does work if you can pull it off." Can we talk a little bit about the the repair set, as Heather and Julie called it?
1: Um, we must, because I need it today. It's the making up afterwards. You know, as we talked about in the interview, like this is this happens. It happens to all of us, but that apologizing to the kid or talking about it afterwards is an important part of teaching them emotional health right that they that you, yes. that you need to go to them and say i really lost my temper i shouldn't have done that i'm sorry and of course you wait until you're calmed down to do it but you talk through it and it doesn't have to be let's all light candles and hold hands for 20 minutes it can be it can be 30 seconds of really connected conversation but you know close a circle and and i don't i don't always do that because you know why? I think it's because when you sometimes when you really lose your stuff and then you calm down, even if you don't feel better right away, yelling is cathartic. So, you know, you feel
0: better. And then the person who's been dumped on is sort of like, what was that about? And I think this can be a hard access point. I am a person who... I come from about 2000 years of Irish prideful people. <laughs> so, and so do I. <laughs> admitting that I'm wrong and saying that I'm sorry is not the strongest card in my skill set. And so, we have two things. One is every night at dinner, which I've talked about before, we do best part of the day, worst part of the day. And we've added a new little uh, funny thing, which is silly part of the day. So, Best part of the day. You say worst part of the day. And then we've added silly part of the day where you can be like a monster attack me on the way home from school. That seems to be the kid's favorite part right now. <laughs> but at worst part of the day, like last night we had dinner at the end of this whole debacle and at best part of the day, I was like, I loved it when we woke up in that hotel together and all five of us were in the bed and it was so silly and fun and great. And I was like, the worst part of my day was later on in the day when we were all together and I lost my temper so badly and I was having a bad day. This bad thing happened to me, and but I took it out on you guys and I feel bad. It's an easy opening for me when I've had a bad day or it's also a time for me to say, I'm worried because I have this friend who's sick. And then later on in the night, I can say like, oh, I'm sorry that I'm stressed out. You have to be a little careful with this because I find my high anxiety guy, like last night, I mentioned something about someone being sick and he's very upset about it later on. Like I try not to overshare, but it at least gives you a little bit of perspective of like, okay, this is why this is hard for me today. And it's an easy opening. The other one is bedtime. Often at bedtime, I just sat down and I'm like, "Whoa, guys, that was a bad one. Let's try to do better tomorrow."
3: Yeah,
1: I've definitely done that, and it and it helps. You're right. That's it. and those are they're sort of sort of built in, like mom perched on the edge of the bed with the lights about to go out. It's a Time that sort of can contain those more serious conversations, and your kid feels safe there with you, just the two of you. They also know you're going to turn out the lights in about sixty seconds. This isn't going to go on forever.
0: Like they, right, they can understand. Right. Even a teenager, is like, okay, I guess I can sit here and let, let mom yeah. tell me. This Sometimes for 30 my ten-year-old like pats my hand and he's like, all right, I think I'll go to sleep now. Like he's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm good with this conversation. There's a there's a website called Happy You Happy Family, which I mean, I guess
1: is the point of this episode, right? If you if you, you yeah, need to get yourself happy, if you want to blow up. Up less. And Kelly, who runs the website, she, she uh, created, I think she created the magic five to one ratio. And I'll put the link up on wetfreshhealthpodcast.com She's talking about this and it's more with maybe younger kids, but it can kind of, well, maybe it's not just with younger kids. I'll tell you what it is. It's that if you, for every one really bad, regrettable interaction you have with one of your kids, the way to repair that is to have five, positive interactions. You know, make it your job. Like first first say you're sorry, then set to doing five good things. And they can be, let me give you some examples. They can it's she says the next time your that child asks a question, see if you can say yes to it. It isn't can I have a pony, but can I can I watch an extra show or can I have, you know, another cookie, whatever. Yes you know, rough house with them. Say, I appreciate when you do this, like find five ways to sort of refill, refill the tank. And she has bingo cards and all kinds of ways to make it more accessible for those of us who are like, how how do I do this? I don't know how to do this, but I think it's a good, I definitely don't do five. I try to do two or three. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm having a little tweet, tweet reaction, which is like a little too precious for me, but I think in general, the perspective is this happens to everyone. It's not good. And so apologize. And then I often just say like, guys, let's have a great day tomorrow. And then I try in the next morning to start fresh and be like, remember, today's a great day. And like, it happens. Keep it in perspective. Try to do it less. Try to see it coming in yourself and your kids and then when it happens, apologize and move on. I wanted to get back to this idea that that
1: when you're in red brain, it's already too late. So um, Sue Schellenbarger, I talked about, she has this Wall Street Journal article that is called Talking to Your Kids After You Yell. It's really good. <laughs> oh, Sounds kind of applicable. Could you put
0: a link to that for a friend of mine on the show It's going to
1: be on the show page, whatfreshallpodcast.com. But I I liked this quote. She says, parents can learn to notice signs that a blow up is brewing and dial down their own tension. Warning signs can include tightness in the throat or chest, shallow or rapid breathing, a clenching of the teeth, negative thoughts about oneself or feelings of being overwhelmed. You can try to notice that moment as it's happening before the blow up and address the feelings and not project them onto yelling at the kids you can try because once once that gets too far progressed it's too late
0: yep i think that sounds like good advice
1: i'm going to take more deep breaths today
0: oh deep breaths Ah,
1: But you know, what's most important is I think you need to forgive yourself. I mean, I do feel better talking about this with you because, you know, when I read this statistic, some people do this three or four times a month and you think, what? (laughs) Who are you people? Yeah. So I'm glad you think, who are you people? I, I, I totally turn that on myself like, oh, so it's just me. I am a horrible person. But that's That's useless. I mean, I need to make this better, but I also need to forgive myself because the sort of, you know, ruminating on how what a terrible parent I must be isn't in fact going to turn this around for me at
0: all. I want to leave people with this thought, Amy, whenever you have the thought, oh, it's just me. I'm a horrible person and a bad mother and the only one doing it this badly. You are incorrect. You should listen to the What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, believe me, you're, you, th- that that's the isolation of motherhood. Oh, I'm the one doing this badly. Everyone's terrible at this and everyone's great at this. So, you know, everyone has done this and it's okay. Your kids, the kids are all right, guys. Thanks. I feel better, Margaret. Thanks for the talk. I'm glad. I really do. I'm glad. I needed this one today. Woo. I want to thank Heather Turgeon
1: and Julie Wright, who are the authors of Now Say This, The Right Words to Solve Any Parenting Dilemma. I love this three step plan. It's very useful. Love it, guys.
0: All right. We solved it. We solved it. We want you to come to Facebook and tell us whether uh, that song I was thinking of really was an Elvis song. That's facebook.com forward slash Hellcast. I feel my temperature rising. I think it's Elvis. Uh, and you can also, if you want, discuss some things about this episode with our fellow listeners, which is always fun. We're also on
1: Instagram at Fresh Hellcast, And, you know, my favorite place where I'm going to put all the studies and all the talk about red brain and the link to Heather and Julie's book and everything we talked about today will be on our website whatfreshhealthpodcast.com.
0: Love it guys. Great talking to you. Tell a friend about the podcast and we will see you next week. Bye.
3: If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.
2: Oh, hey, everybody! It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory.